you are listening to another episode of Assurance in Action, uh, the podcast of your total quality assurance provider, Intertech. I am Seth Martin Wick with Intertech's Business Assurance Group. Today, our topic is the new Occupational Health and Safety Standard, ISO 45001-2018. In this episode, Intertech Occupational Health and Safety Management System expert Jeffrey Eaves discusses the upcoming migration from OSAS 18001-2007 and the benefits of ISO's new Occupational Health and Safety Standard, released in March of 2018. Without further ado, this is an ISO Insights episode of Assurance in Action on ISO 45001 Migration. Previous to, to 45,001, I mean, obviously we had OSAS uh, that was going along. There were actually a number of different uh, occupational health and safety management systems that were published by other entities, but ISO 45001 finally got the approval to get started in October 2013 through an ISO working group. Uh, again, prior to that, they just couldn't get enough votes within ISO. Uh, to create an OHSMS, Occupational Health and Safety Management Program. And, uh, and again, the one that really had the, the focus of the market, I would say, would be the OSAS 18001, published in 99, and as you know, probably was revised in 2007. And that's really the premier standard for occupational health and safety globally, the one that's recognized around the world. Although the first draft of 45,001 was published in back in 2016, uh, the first draft didn't, it didn't pass with enough votes. And so there was still enough dissent as far as what certain parts of the standard contained. So they went through um, and made some additional changes and, uh, and got the second draft going uh, in May of 2017. And then, of course, the final draft, as we're saying here, and, and then finally, it was uh, published as a standard in March 12, 2018. So the idea is that ISO 45001 will replace OSAS after a three-year transition period, which would be March 12, 2021. So what were some of the needs for change? Well, people saw that, again, uh, there was definitely a need for an ISO standard uh, just to get that much more of the same level of global recognition as, for instance, ISO 9001 quality or 14001 safe or environmental. And also, the one thing that the ISO is providing is a really a, its consistency with having, a, a, again, a global standard for developing ISO standards. But then uh, ISO came out with what we're calling the Annex SL, which was a guidance for the working groups who put together and update the ISO standards. And they were telling them, you know, we wanna use this new clause structure. We wanna, we wanna have a lot of the text be the same in the clauses and, and only have variations for this text as needed, especially when you have very common clauses like, you know, the documentation and things like that. Where, so really you'll see a lot more uh, similarity between the ISO standards moving forward. And some of the terms and definitions, they're trying to make those a little bit more standardized. So when you're looking at a, a quality management system standard versus environmental versus safety, they're gonna look a lot closer together. And of course, it's gonna be much easier to 
the end users uh, of these standards to be able to uh, better integrate uh, and, and implement these systems uh, within their the different parts of their, their businesses. So some of the other uh, considerations, what they really try to do is uh, make sure that these ISO standards are becoming uh, uh, integrated within your business system and providing some value. Uh, they're, they're trying to help make these ISO standards more of a, a risk-based tool. Uh, and we'll see that in the, uh, in the changes to the, the standard itself. And, and not only that, they, they wanted to, again, continue to make them sufficiently, uh, I guess, generic enough so that uh, it's not just for use for a manufacturer, a service or industry could, could, uh, could do this as well. You know, from uh, for safety certifications, we've got, yes, we have our manufacturers, but we also have office buildings, uh, distribution centers, um, uh, property management companies, things lots of other organizations that are implementing this. So it's not just solely a, a manufacturing system product. Whenever you have an, an ISO standard that's developed, again, this was an OSAS standard, which was not ISO. But now that they became an ISO standard, um, the International Accreditation Forum uh, is publishing the rules around, around how that these certifications have to take place. So, what they call conformity assessment bodies, or we'll just usually use the terms CB for certification body. Uh, it's basically giving the rules for companies like Intertech on how to go about doing the audits and what rules we have to follow for this third party certification. And so now there's more specific rules on how we determine the audit time, how the audits are conducted, and actually even more thoroughly, uh, competency requirements for the auditors, as well as the, our certification body staff. And so again, since this is the first one for occupational health and safety, we're gonna see that uh, it's a little bit uh, different and the rules are gonna change a little bit in, compared to what you may have seen with uh, OSAS 18,000. And uh, another IAF rule came out, which set, up, set out the requirements for migrating to ISO 45001 from OSAS. So we're using the term migration, migration from OSAS to 45001. And so there are some rules that uh, as a certification body, we have to follow and processes we have to have in place to, to, to audit companies to the new standard. And so for us, you know, uh, primarily we have to have processes in place to audit to the new standard. We have to be approved by our accreditation body train our auditors, and then also communicate with our clients. You know, this is one of the ways that we're communicating um, on the requirements around it. And so we'll get into a little bit uh, more of those at the end of this presentation. So as I mentioned before, the one of the things with uh, the new clause structure uh, for the ISO standards uh, that the ISO 45001 is gonna be taking on, you have some new clause structures. So leadership is now a clause. And uh, you've got similar requirements for the policy that you have to implement, understanding the context of the organization. So what are some of the internal and external issues that, that uh, could be affecting you as an organization? Or how are you as an organization affecting the community 
or, or others uh, around you. Uh, how to identify certain risks and opportunities within your facility and your operations, as well as addressing them. So they're going beyond just strictly operational controls related to your significant hazards, but kind of taking a bigger approach, uh, you know, what are risks and opportunities and helping you to, uh, again, address these as part of being a risk-based tool. And again, some of the common requirements, as you know, internal audits, management review, um, those are very similar to what they were before, but again, you're gonna see a lot more consistency between the requirements around internal audits and management review between the quality, environmental and safety standards and others. And uh, the corrective action process uh, requirements is now part of the improvement clause, clause 10 in the new standard. And uh, one of the important things is, you know, when you get a copy of ISO 45001 and you read the, uh, the text in the introduction, it's going to talk a little bit about expected outcomes in terms of, you know, as an organization, um, you know, you want your occupational health and safety management system to, you know, drive continual improvement of your performance. And hopefully you'll be achieving your occupational health and safety objectives. And at the same time, making sure you're complying with the regulations uh, that apply to you. And uh, of course, if you're doing all these things, of course, the, the outcome, well, hopefully you'll have safe, efficient, and, and happy workforce. And, and that's, that's important. And uh, you know, there have been studies showing that uh, when you have a very safe uh, work, uh, workforce, you know, safety is a top of mind issue. Um, you do actually see, uh, significant improvements in quality of your products being made as well. So let's talk a little bit about the key changes of the standard. And as I said before, now there's this, this new clause structure for 45,001. And if you're familiar with the ISO 9000 or 45, you should have already seen this. So you basically have the new clauses one through 10, but the first few um, scope, that's really the scope of the standard. So, you know, how, you know, how can you use the standard? It has nothing to do with you defining the scope of your system. That's going to fall under clause four context of the organization. They've got a blank section for normative references and terms and definitions. So this clause three is for the terms and definitions, which is not different than the previous versions. Um, but you will see that there are some new definitions, some revised definitions, and that's important to note especially with this standard, it's good to make sure you understand, you know, what the drafters of this, the standard felt apply to, you know, when you think of what is a worker or what are risks and opportunities and, and things like that. These kind of, it's helpful to understand the, the terms and definitions so that you can properly implement the standard itself. One of the new clauses is context of the organization. So here, as I mentioned before, you'll have to identify what are these contextual issues? So again, from an occupational health and safety standpoint, um, internal, you know, upstream, downstream, community, uh, neighbors, things like that. Who are these interested parties? Uh, again, they may be interested in what you're doing on or off your site. Again, as I mentioned before, especially if you're a service industry, if your work is being realized off of your own facility, then obviously you may have some, some of these 
offsite contextual issues to think about and make sure once you've considered these these issues, then you define the scope of your system because you you want to make sure that you're not excluding things that you you maybe can influence or control um, with respect to some of these activities and interested parties. Leadership is a is a new clause, but really it, it is covering uh, some of the resource requirements, the policy, uh, worker participation. There's some requirements around making sure that people, the workers are involved in implementing the system. So there's some new requirements in leadership. And uh, you know, a good point to remember is when you take a look at the standard, there's new requirements on leadership themselves to make sure that they are promoting the system, actively providing resources and things like that. And so uh, it is raising the bar as far as leadership involvement in implementing the management system. And as well for planning, uh, as I mentioned, we have the, the new requirements around identifying risks and opportunities, and, but then you've, they've combined in this planning section, uh, if you're familiar with OSAS 18001, you, there already was a, a clause on hazard identification and risk assessment, identifying and implementing your legal and other requirements. Uh, they do have, they, they kind of change things out from a planning and then, you know, actions to address these issues that you've identified and as well your occupational health and safety objectives so those all fall under the planning part you know they, they tried to make it make sense you know and like a you know this plan do check act cycle and then the support clause here you have resources competence and awareness communication documented information so these are some of the supporting clauses and they, they tried to logically group these requirements under Clause 7 support. Operation, that's that's vastly expanded from what OSAS had within it in terms of the requirements, but Clause 8 does basically limit itself to the operational controls as well as emergency response clauses. Not a lot, not a lot of changes under emergency response, but definitely an expansion of what you have to do when it comes to operational controls. And then you have performance evaluation where you get into Again, your monitoring and measurement, uh, that's a little bit expanded as far as how, what, and when you're going to do it, but basically the same type of requirements that you've had in the past. And evaluation of compliance, internal audit, management review, very similar, uh, but primarily uh, you'll see with management review, there's a little bit more detail in terms of inputs and outputs. And then there's an improvement clause that basically saying you do have to continually improve your system. Uh, but then they moved incidents and corrective actions into this improvement section. Uh, and one interesting thing is they did take out preventive actions. That's no longer in the standard. It's just basically corrective actions to deal with themselves. And the reason, part of the reasoning for that is to, is that your uh, preventive actions are really going to fall under your opportunities that you identify under Clause 6, Risks and Opportunities. So under some of the emerging changes, again, I'll just try to highlight some of the key ones, which is, again, they do want the, the occupational health and safety requirements that you, that you decide you're going to implement as part of your system. Those things need to be integrated within your business processes. So if you've got a, you've got a sales process, you've got a manufacturing process, you've got a, a warehousing process, you know, what are the safety things that the people 
conducting those things on a day-to-day -day basis need to be making sure they understand how to do it safely. Leadership and worker participation, really, as I said before, there's some real new requirements on leadership to make sure that the, the system is effectively implemented. And you're making sure that you have proper consultation and participation of workers. And they are using the term workers here, which really, in the context of the, of the standard, means anybody working for your organization. Risk and opportunities, that was a new one. As I mentioned, uh, they really want you to try to identify what risks do you have? Not just safety risks, but uh, risks overall that might be related to the management system, as well as opportunities to improve as an organization. Awareness now is a separate clause, separate from competency, and there's really more emphasis. So really the, the standard is moving from just needing a process to making people aware to you shall make people aware of certain things. So the bar is being raised on the level of awareness needed to conform to the standard. And operational control, as I mentioned, that's expanded as well. You've got more specific requirements to considering hierarchy of controls, management of change itself, something totally new, uh, which is outsourced processes. You need to kind of figure out what those are and what are your safety requirements around those. So if you, again, if you're familiar with 9001 and quality concepts, hopefully you're familiar with uh, what an outsourced process is. And there are some, uh, there are some guidance in the, in the annex of the standard to help you identify what the, and then it also gets into things like procurement and contractor management. So the standard itself, uh, Besides being restructured to match the new clause structure uh, per, per annex itself, it is there's, there's definitely an expansion of OSAS. So there's some different requirements, but it's um, definitely in addition to what OSAS was requiring. And then, of course, like I said, on the continual improvement piece, you do have to continually improve the suitability, adequacy, and effectiveness of your program. Again, you're gonna have your system in place, but you've gotta take things into account, like, okay, we, how are we making sure that we're being strategic and following more of a process-based approach? So you're not really having a separate health and safety manual. You're really integrating the safety into all the things that you do. You're considering things in internal and external issues as part of this context analysis. As we said before, leadership, risks and opportunities, You'll have more operational controls than you've had in the past, more than likely. And uh, obviously you've, you've got this uh, enhanced requirements around continual improvement. So you'll definitely see uh, a little, probably uh, a more robust system. So the, it does say that uh, they want it to be a more of a strategic tool where it's a risk-based system and they want top management to make sure that uh, Again, you're integrating this, the system requirements within your business processes, the things that you do every day. And of course, uh, top management has to make sure that you've got an OHNS policy and objectives are not only established, but to make sure they're com compatible with the strategic direction of the organization. Again, the context issue, that's something that is new. And I would say probably one of the biggest issues that clients have in terms of uh, you know, what is it that we need to do here? You know, how far do we go in terms of these <clears throat> internal and external issues? And uh, 
And that's something that definitely, uh, you know, when you go through ISO 45,000 with training, uh, you know, we are, we're offering overview training and internal auditing training. We do have some case studies and some exercises related to context of the organization. It's, and uh, you'll find that there actually are potentially quite a few interested parties. And uh, again, you, you just have to have a process for making sure that you understand these and that you're taking these into account and implementing your system. And uh, as I said, leadership now, they've got to take a, a definitely a much more active involvement in the system itself and, uh, and take on more accountability in the system. One thing that's interesting is they did take out the requirement for the top management representative. So you'll, you won't see that. There's no requirement specifically for a management rep, as we would call it. But uh, basically what ISO is trying to do is make it a little bit more loo loose and easy and flexible for organizations. Hey, it's just up to top management to say, these are the roles and responsibilities required to implement our system. And this is it. You don't have to put it under control of one person only. One of the other things too is top management does need to ensure that workers are actively participating in the occupational health and safety management system. So they're, they're, they're trying to up the bar there too. So, I mean, there was in OSAS, there was a, uh, a requirement for, again, participation and consultation, but there's more, there's more emphasis on including the workers within ISO 45,000. Certainly, as I said before, you're going to have to do a hazard identification and risk assessment process as you did with OSAS, but um, they're talking about also identifying risks and opportunities. Some of these may be very specific. They're, they might be in your risk assessment already, but there, there could be other, other ones that, uh, that you can find. And, you know, certainly, you know, going beyond um, compliance with the law, you know, is something that, you know, from an opportunity standpoint, uh, or, or certainly improving on the, the number of, I mean, you may, a lot of companies measure themselves by recordable injuries, but certainly if you have no recordables, you may have a number of incidents and, and looking at those and trying to, again, have a journey to zero so you're not having any incidents at all. So there's definitely a process here to help help you identify opportunities to improve. As I mentioned uh, earlier, the preventive action requirement has been removed, but again, it's part of the, uh, the fact that the overall, the, the standard, they're, they're trying to make the standard itself a risk tool, as well as you have the, the clause under risks and opportunities to identify these things. But not only that, it does require that you have actions to address these. So even though it didn't have a preventive action clause anymore, you're still really going to have to do a lot of the same things in terms of preventive measures. And the operational control, as I said, it, it, it is expanded. So there's some new concepts that uh, you'll need to be aware of and make sure you implement. Uh, hierarchy of controls. Again, uh, most organizations do this okay, but of course, you really need to go through and look at your process and say, okay, what can we eliminate or engineer out uh, or implement administrative controls. Again, just applying personal protective equipment is always supposed to be the last line of defense. There are more specific requirements around management of change, making sure that you don't create more risks uh, by making a change. There's a new requirement for procurement. So 
you've got to make sure that uh, from a health and safety standpoint, when you're, let's say if you're renting equipment or, or buying products, buying machinery, you're going to set up in on your floor, you know, how do we make sure this is safe or properly, our workers are going to be properly protected. And again, there are some enhanced requirements on procurement and contractor management. Probably not a lot different than what many organizations are doing now, but it's a little bit more detailed than it was within OSDAS. And outsource functions, as I said, is something that's new. So let's say you, uh, you, know, you may be having somebody fulfill one of the services that you're supposed to be providing, manufacturing a part that uh, is gonna come back and be you know, welded onto your part. Uh, again, there might be safety, occupational health and safety considerations around that. And, and you would need to make sure that those processes, even though you're not doing it, are adequately controlled. So again, on the continual improvement side, uh, monitoring and measurement, this is one where the standard is gonna make you identify a little bit more in detail what you're gonna monitor, how you're gonna monitor, when you're gonna monitor it, and not only that, how you're going to look at it, you know, you know, what are you going to look at in terms of uh, performance measures? So you've really got to identify these things up front. So it's more, almost more of a uh, having a monitoring plan up front than, than just stating the fact that you will monitor things. The management review has been revised. So there is a focus now when you look at your inputs that they require on trends and changes. So it's not just bullet points of subjects, but what are, you know, are things changing related to these subjects that you have to talk about? Um, and, and, you know, are we getting worse or are we getting better? So, you know, a very common issue we see with management review is organizations may say, well, we had five internal audit findings and two external audit findings. And, you know, the, really the question is, what does that mean? You know, are we getting better, getting worse? Is there, do we need to make changes? These are the kinds of things they want you to think about. And promoting a culture, uh, really, if, if you, when you implement the system and take a look at that and by involving, of course, your workers, hopefully that, that you're going to be providing a culture that's going to be amenable to making improvements within your health and safety program. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit about some of the requirements around the migration. And as I said at the outset, uh, you'll, you have a three-year transition period that started as of March 12, 2018. So uh, if, if you are, if you have accredited OSAS, you have three years to basically make whatever changes are needed to uh, conform to ISO 45001. And so for any, any OSAS activities we're doing now after March of 2018, if we issue a certificate now, it still has to coincide with the end of the three-year migration period. So let's say, uh, we did. We, we we have to issue a certificate now here in July, but instead of July, uh, I'm sorry, expiring in July 2021, it's gonna expire uh, again in March at the end of the transition period. So basically, any OSAS certificates being issued now are gonna be less than three years. Not only is the IEF, uh, you know, they're publishing these mandatory documents we have to follow, but the accreditation bodies. So, for instance, we're accredited by ANAB here in the U.S. Uh, they will uh, 
and our publishing and accreditation rules that, that could affect the way we do our audits. And one <laughs> the common question that we're already getting is, do I have to upgrade to 45? Why, why can't I just keep my OSAS certificate? Well, the answer to that is no, you can't because uh, OSAS is gonna be rescinded at the end of the migration period. So there won't be a, a standard to remain certified to. So you, you won't have a choice if you have OSAS now um, and you wanna maintain that occupational health and safety system certification, you will have to migrate to ISO 45000. And so when do you do it? Well, what you might call a transition or migration assessment, uh, it's best to do it at a regularly scheduled audit activity. So if you're, if you're certified to OSAS 18001 and you've made the changes already this year, and say uh, you're working on it now, but your audit's not till later in 2018, we would just add a little bit of time to that audit, just like we did with the ISO 14001 and ISO 9000 transitions to those. Uh, basically, because OSAS, you know, it was globally recognized and there was accreditation for OSAS, they're not making you start over, even though it's a brand new ISO standard. They're we're able to give you credit for the fact that you have ISO 18001. So we can just basically add a little bit of time to the trend, to your regularly scheduled audit and, um, and upgrade you then. Or let's say if you're getting prepared this year, you want to do it at next year's audit, let's say in 2019. Now, as I mentioned before, because ISO 45001 is a different standard and there are new rules around it, it's possible that the way your audit time was calculated in the past, uh, it, it may end up changing. Potentially less, but more than likely, it could go a little bit more. I'd say the majority of the companies, you'll probably see the same audit time. but they did make some changes in terms of definitions of what's a, what might be more of a medium versus low complexity organization or a high versus medium complexity organization. And depending on your the complexity of your operations uh, and the number of people that you have, that, that gives us the base days that we have to start with as a certification body. So basically, once we do your transition audit, whenever that is done, um, we've got to confirm that you're, of course, conforming to the new standard. So if we have, uh, if we've got, once we do the audit, of course, as normal, if we have any gaps that we notice, we'll write findings. And then you, of course, have the uh, possibility to uh, implement corrective actions. So as long as we have minor nonconformities, we can certainly recommend certification to the ISO 45001. So again, we can recommend it with minors, as long as we approve your corrective action plans, then it goes into the technical review section. And if everything looks good, you'll get the new certificate. However, if you have a major nonconformity, as normal, we would have to probably visit you on site and, and make sure that those are 100% fixed before we can recommend certification. So uh, you might be asking yourself, well, what should I do now? How do I get started? Um, kind of obvious, but uh, you want to try to get the new ISO 45001 standard, but not only read the standard, but again, terms and definition, read the annex. It's going to give you some good background uh, and, and give you a bigger picture on the expectations. Uh, 
and then take a look at your own system. So, you know, what do you need to change? I mean, it might be if you if you're not OSAS certified, yeah, you've got to put in a full system. But but if let's say you're looking at 45,001, you don't have OSAS, but you already do have 9 and 14. Well, as I said before, you already have a lot of these processes or clauses covered in terms of context analysis and internal audit management review. It would be a good time to see, you know, what could we do to integrate the safety uh, requirements within to an existing system. And so, like I said, these are very, they're structurally very similar and you definitely want to take advantage of that. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel on your management system for ISO 45001. So you want to figure out, okay, what do we need to do? You know, prioritize what changes need to take, what we need to do, and then take into account this three-year transition period. And you know, at Intertech, we're going to be encouraging clients to, um, to to get their audit at least a year ahead of time in March of uh, 2020 because of what we've run into with ISO 14001. There are a lot of organizations that really waited until just now to, to do their upgrade audit. So a lot of people are rushing at the end. And you really don't want to be in that situation if you don't have to. So you may need to do some internal training. Certainly uh, for those people that are responsible for implementing the system, they'll need relevant training as it applies to their job. Internal auditors, obviously you're going to need to make sure that they're competent in the new standard itself. And again, you'll want to make sure you do, once you've implemented your changes, do your internal audit and management review before requesting a migration assessment from, from Intertech. Uh, we've run into situations like the transitions for 9 and 14 where companies haven't done that. And to us, that's you're going to run into a major nonconformity if you don't do that because there's a lot of changes here. You've got to assess yourself against the changes. There's a lot of changes to the management review inputs and outputs. So you've got to do these to the new version of the standard before we can upgrade. And then lastly, uh, on this end, what you need to do is uh, let us know uh, regarding the timing of your readiness for the audit. So we uh, will work with you to make sure we get that scheduled uh, and again at the earliest possible time. And if you've already, again, if you have already implemented the ISO 9001 and 14001 2015, you'll see that uh, a lot of the work on the structural end is already done. It's just a matter of the safety specific requirements within 45,000 taken into account. Thanks for listening to this episode of Assurance in Action, ISO Insights, the ISO 45001 migration. For more information on ISO 45001, please visit intertech.com where you can listen and view webinars, white papers, and much more. Also, remember to subscribe to stay up to date on all Assurance in Action episodes.